Um, today, we are going to start a study of the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is uh, a biography of Jesus written by John. Uh, and so I, as a way to sort of help us consider what kind of stories people tell in biographies, I looked into the future, into some of the many biographies that are going to be written about me. And uh, these were some of the statements that I pulled out from the various authors. Uh, number one, I think we got this up here. He was handsome, rugged, yet refined. It's true. It's true. I mean, that's a good way to start any story about me. Uh, number two, he was difficult to talk to. One had to draw a conversation out of him as if one was wringing out a cloth that was damp but not fully wet. That also seems fair. Number three, he had great insight. He was able to draw out the smallest thread of truth, something that had been previously overlooked, making a passage feel fresh and relevant. That was very nice. I'm sure my mom wrote that one. Uh, and next, he talked about things that did not matter, though this never seemed to deter him. <laughs> There's also a nugget of truth to that as well. Um, uh, next one, he was funny. Uh, number six, he thought he was funny. <laughs> he told jokes that seemed to be completely self-serving. Uh, which one is the most accurate of all of those? Well, there's probably uh, a small element of truth in them, while some of them might be outright lies. Lies, I say, with no truth to them. But it does show us something interesting. Uh, a biography about someone is very much colored by who the person is that wrote it and what their experience was like with the person that they are writing about. There are some people that if they were to write a biography of me, would write a glowing review of who I am. And there are other people that would have to censor themselves frequently throughout the story of me because their feelings of me are not quite so sunny. Now this is true of all of us, right? Uh, which uh, gives us the lesson that we should all learn today. This is the take-home. Uh, make sure you have a good friend that likes you who's a writer so that they write your biography instead of someone else who uh, doesn't have those same things. Now, we're going to take a look at the book of John this morning and the opening of it, and we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle. So uh, uh, just kind of hang on here with me as we go through this part together. So in the Bible, we have how many Gospels? Four. Okay, each gospel tells the story of Jesus, correct? And yet, each gospel tells the story of Jesus in a different way. Why is that? Well, each book was written by a different author at different times to different audiences. And so the stories that we have about Jesus that are found in these four gospels are all similar, and yet they are different. Now, at their core, they all have the same purpose and form. And here's the one thing you need to know about Gospels that will probably help you explain some of the differences to someone who uh, is not really into the Bible or to Jesus. 
And this, this first thing is then that the Gospels were never intended to be histories. Okay? They were not written to be histories. Um, and we would be wrong to treat them as such. Now, this is important because if you compare the Gospels side by side, number one, they don't all have the same stories. Okay? They have some differing stories. Number two, the stories that they do share are not always in the same order from one book to another. For example, in the book of John, Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem until the end of his life. Whereas if you read another gospel, he is back and forth between Jerusalem. Now, some consider this a problem. And it is a problem if the gospels were meant to be histories, to tell what happened in a specific order at a specific time. But they aren't histories. So what are they? What do you think? How would you describe them? If they're not a history, then what are they? They're a biography, sure. Observances. What else? Apologetics. Okay, which, uh, Daphne, what do you mean when you say apologetics? That's right. They are written to be a proof so that those who read it will know things about Jesus. Their goal, all four, even though they are different, their goal is to create a baseline understanding of who Jesus is. And regardless of the differences between them, they all create the same baseline. Each of the four Gospels represents the attempt of a particular community working through a scribe or a group of scribes through the author to set down dependable traditions about who Jesus is. Um, And each of the four Gospels is a piece of written rhetoric which has as its purpose to proclaim and to persuade. It wants to tell you who Jesus is, but it also wants you to believe and who they are telling you Jesus is. The, the Gospels are written not for some sort of like cognitive agreement. Like you could read a lot of books today, right? You could read a lot of different things about different topics. And sometimes when we read these books about different topics, when you get to the end, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I, I guess I agree with that. Or no, no, I don't really agree with that for this reason or that. Or I like this part, but I didn't like this part, right? This is kind of how we treat Uh, uh, stories about different things. But you have to understand, with the gospel, there are only two options by the time you get to the end. Either Jesus is who they say he is, or he is not. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. And they are written to prove to you, dear reader, that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, and the salvation of the world, that there has never been anyone like him, nor will there ever be. Jesus is singular. There is no one you can compare to him. And that's an important thing for us to understand because coming out of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, there were a lot of stories about who Jesus was. There were a lot of stories about what Jesus did. 
There were a lot of stories about the things he said and who he might be. And all four Gospels attempt to answer those questions. Who he is, what he did, what he was about. Now, the Gospel of John is different from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Noticeably so. You don't even have to squint to see the differences. Like, they are right there. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke belong to this special club called the Synoptic Gospels. And why are they part of the same club? Well, what that means is that they have most of the same stories in mostly the same order. Uh, although not all are in the same order. Um, so they're not exactly the same, but it's clear that those three books use the same sources to write their Gospels. Um, and so just like with these other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's primary goal is persuasion uh, and, and not a history. Now, I'm sorry, stick with me. We're going to get to the part that's more interesting than me just spouting things at you in a moment. When were the Gospels written? Um, it's important for us to note that the writing dates are mostly educated guesses. Uh, so we don't know exactly when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written. We have uh, an educated guess as to approximately when they were, but they were all written at different times to specific audiences. So the first gospel written, what do you think? Which one is it? If you had to guess. Matthew would seem logical because it's the first one, but it's not Matthew. It's Mark. Mark is the first gospel that was written. Now, there's reasons why um, people believe these things, but it was written between 60 and 70 AD. Um, and Mark addressed his gospel to Gentile Christians who had no close acquaintance with Jewish customs, some of which he explains in his telling of who Jesus is. Now, the next two were Matthew and Luke. It's not known exactly which one was written first, but both of them, uh, it is considered to have been, been written during a 15-year span, so sometime between 85 and 90 AD. Now, why did those come after Mark? The reason why we know they came after Mark is that both Matthew and Luke refer to things that Mark talks about. And there is enough crossover between what, Mark, what Matthew and Luke say with Mark that it's clear that Mark came first. They both had access to that story, and that helped them write their Gospels. Um, Luke is the only Gospel that tells us who it was written to, and it was written to the most excellent Theophilus. And it was created to be an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And Matthew's was written to a different audience altogether. And then you have John. John was the last gospel written. And they think it was written sometime between 90 and 110 A.D. And his gospel has stories that are not in any other gospel. In fact, it has characters that are only really referenced slightly, like Nicodemus, for example. He's only in John in the form that we know him to be as the one who goes out at night to meet with Jesus. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That's only in John. 
It's not in the other Gospels. And it's in John where Jesus' prayers for himself on that last night are completely different. Almost like polar opposite of what we see in the other Gospels. Now here's something that maybe you've never thought about before. The Gospels were all written sometime between 30 and 80 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's a long time, isn't it? That's a long time. And no matter who they were written for, they all faced the same challenges. So think about Jesus had done all these extraordinary things, and the more time that passes from the time Jesus did that extraordinary thing, there are going to be more ideas and theories about Jesus, right? And it's just going to multiply as time goes on. And so this story was fresh, but there were different theories about who he was and ultimately what happened, and there was a lot of rumor and speculation. So the identity of Jesus was an important subject that had to be addressed, and this is what they're trying to do. So what makes John's Jesus different from the Jesus we see in the other Gospels? Well, that's a trick question, because John's Jesus really isn't different. He's just a different side of who Jesus is. Now, why do I tell you all of this stuff that I just very quickly went through? Um, the reason why is that <clears throat> I want you to understand what it is that we're dealing with when we go to a gospel. I want you to know, because uh, we have ideas about it, right? We, we believe uh, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote the gospels. We also believe that the writing of those gospels came from their eyewitness testimonies, which is true. And also through uh, the help of the Holy Spirit that these Gospels were written. And all of those things are true. You know what else is true? They were written by different people in different places, two different groups. And each of those people who wrote them had different ideas of who Jesus was. And what he was like and how he lived his life on earth now when i say different i don't mean like apples and oranges right but what i mean is they all saw different sides of him and that's important for us in this study because john shows a side of jesus that the others do not and that's what we're getting when we study the book of john and this starts right from the beginning. Now, I guarantee to you, you probably don't know the opening lines to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You might remember parts of them, but you probably don't know the opening lines. You know the opening lines to the book of John. Isn't that interesting? You know what these lines are. And so right from the beginning, uh, John is trying to prove one very important thing, and that is Jesus was a big deal. When was Jesus a big deal? When did he become a big deal? Was it when people started following him? 
Was it when he started healing others? Was it when he was a wee baby? What time was it? Well, John wants us to know it was right from the beginning. So here are the words you know from the introduction to the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay. Now, the difference between the book of John and the other Gospels is felt pretty much immediately. And it's in these words here. It's in these words that, that tell us about who Jesus is. Now, Matthew and Luke, they start with birth accounts of Jesus. So they start with angels and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and all of those different things. Mark picks it up right at the public ministry start of Jesus, so when he was roughly 30 years old. That's where it picks up the story. John picks up the story way before either of those other accounts. And within these few verses, he changes the narrative that we might be accustomed to because he wants us to know that no matter what else you think about Jesus, first and foremost, he is who? He is God. Notice he does not say the Son of God. He is God. Um, he's not a baby, which is an interesting choice, right? He's also not some unknown entity coming out of Nazareth. He is God, which tells us something important. This story is going to begin and end with this kind of Jesus. This is who we're going to see throughout. Because the beginning, the beginning is not the birth. The beginning is creation itself. Jesus has been around since when? Forever. He's been around forever. Since the beginning of time. In fact, Jesus took part in creation. The Bible's opening in Genesis is a series of narratives about the earth's origin and human origins from the creative hand of God. And John makes it clear to us that Jesus was there in the very beginning. In fact, how did God create in the beginning? What did he do? He spoke it into existence. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, because in him 
was life. So who is Jesus right from the beginning? He is God. He is a creative force. And more importantly, though it sort of falls out somewhere in there, he was what? Life. That's important to this story. That he was life. That this is what he brought to the world. Now, John did not invent this about Jesus. Okay? Uh, Let's look at just some excerpts from Proverbs chapter 8, from verses 25, 27, and 29 through 30. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When the Lord established the heavens, I was there. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Now, the writer of this proverb is not speaking of his or herself. That's not what they're saying. Instead, they were ref- are reflecting on what creation was like and what do they say about creation. It was not just God. There was another creative force there that was working with God and for God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, there's something I want to make very clear here, because I have heard this argument before, and not that I necessarily believe you all think this, but I want you to know this. The Word is not the Bible. So, I just just want to be clear about that, because there have been some, through over time, in wanting to discount the role of the Holy Spirit or other such things, have said, see, the Word of God, the Bible, is from the beginning, and it is all we need at this time. That's not what John was talking about. Number one, the Bible did not exist. Nor did John know it would exist. Nor do we believe that that's what God, through the Holy Spirit, was telling John when he talks about the Word. No, the Word is not the Bible. It is who? It's God. It's Jesus. It's alive. It's life. It is all of these things things. Next point, um, which takes us back to some of the other narratives. And so part two is this. Remember John? He was there too. Now, this is going to be a little bit of an odd reach for us here, given what we just read, but let's look at it here in chapter one, verses six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, who is the author talking about? John the Baptist. We're going to call him JTB this morning uh, just to keep that a little bit shorter. Um, Now, John the Baptist was in the other Gospels, correct? And in fact, in, you know, Matthew and Luke, he's in the Gospel before Jesus is. He is the forerunner to Jesus, the one who comes before him, who preaches in the wilderness, who baptizes a baptism of repentance, and who prepares the way for God. 
in those Gospels, John was a pretty important figure. He's the Elijah figure going before the Messiah, the one who is a sign of the one who is to come. He is not that same figure in the book of John, which is what makes his inclusion here a little bit different, a little bit weird perhaps. Because to the writer, John, John the Baptist, what he stands for is more important than what he did. And so he tells us, without mixing words, what the function of John the Baptist was. What was his function? What was he here to do? He was here as a witness, testimony, to point the way to Jesus. He is not the one who has come to preach repentance and baptize crowds of people as in the other Gospels. He is a function. He is the one who will give witness and testimony to who Jesus is. Now, here's why that's important for us to note. Because that is the role of everyone else in the Gospel of John besides, of course, Jesus. Every character we see, every person we encounter is going to give testimony to who Jesus is. The story about them in and of itself is not all that important. What they do, who they point to, and how they do it is what is most important. The writer, interestingly enough, does not choose Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, shepherds, or wise men to be witnesses to Jesus. Instead, he uses John. So why would he choose John out of all that opening narrative that we have about the life of Jesus from the other Gospels? Why choose John and not someone else? Well, it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. I hope you have an answer. Um, there is a reason. Because out of that story about Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John the Baptist, who is the one they would have heard of? John the Baptist, right? You, you probably, the, the average Jew at that time wouldn't have necessarily known all the details about Jesus' life, but chances are they heard about John the Baptist. And there were probably stories about who John the Baptist was. Aside from uh, his coming before Jesus, and John wants us to know that this important person who you have also heard of, that person wasn't important. What they did was important. And what they did was point the way to Jesus. That was why they were here. John is a witness. He was a testimony to Jesus, which takes us to part three. <clears throat> no, really, Jesus was a big deal. And some people who should have seen it didn't. All right? Uh, so let's pick it up in verses 9 through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Okay. In these verses, John is giving us the plot. This is kind of what this story is going to be about. And it revolves around two main things. It revolves around the mission of Jesus and the reaction of those who encounter him. The mission of Jesus is that he is here to reveal the Father and to create this new sense or family who he calls the children of God. It's the children of God idea is not something that would be new to his Jewish audience. They consider themselves children of God. In fact, they consider themselves most likely to still be children of God while Christians are not for those who have not believed in him. But John wants everyone to know that Jesus is here to reveal the Father, and he's here to create this new community that was not just created by him, but by God. And anyone who is a part of that community, they are considered to be children of God. His task is to do this thing. And the problem with this is, is that if someone were coming to reveal God to the world, the expectation we have is that if they are here to reveal God to the world and God is revealed, then the reaction of those who encounter him will be what? Oh, there's God. But John points out the weirdest part of all of the Gospels of Jesus, right? That he came here as the true light to reveal God to his own people. People who should know who God is and what God is like. And instead of everyone accepting him, what happened? He was rejected by his own. He was rejected by those who should have seen, but didn't. He was killed by those who should have known he was the Son of God. But instead of accepting him, they rejected him. It's a little bit of a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? It makes us feel a little bit of sympathy for the light, the word, that it was doing what it was supposed to do, that it came to show these incredible things about God, and yet it was still, it was still rejected. Now, why is it important that John introduce this part of the plot right at the beginning? Why is that important? Well, we have to imagine what the reader who is getting a hold of this gospel you know, decades after the death of Jesus. 
and the world that they live in, which is not so unlike the world that we live in today. So they live in a world where some people have accepted Jesus, right? And a lot of people haven't. And so the question that they have when they start reading this gospel is, well, if Jesus was the Son of God and it was so obvious, then why doesn't everyone believe in him? Why were there people that encountered him, that heard him, that, that saw him, why did those people, why didn't all of them choose to believe in him? What's, where's the disconnect? And the question might come up, well, if he was really the Son of God, if he was really God, then, I mean, doesn't it stand to reason that they would have recognized him as such? And so John, from the very beginning in this, this proof, this testimony, testimony about Jesus, he acknowledges that, guys, I know this story is rough. I have presented you with this Jesus who is God, who is the light of the world, who is the salvation of man, who was there at creation, who came here and lived with us. And even though all of that is true, not everyone believed in him. Something went wrong. Something went wrong. And those that he had come to save rejected him. Which leads us to our next point. Let me spell it out for you. Verse 14 of John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was here as a representative of God. He was here as God himself. He was not a pretender. He was not a prophet. He was not a rabbi. He was not a great moral teacher. He was not a flash in the pan. Jesus is God in the flesh, the glory of the Father, here to bring grace and truth. And so lastly, Jesus is what JTB was talking about when he was alive. In fact, if you'd go to the next slide, Randy. <clears throat> In fact, Jesus is what God has been about all along. Do not be confused. From verses 15 through 18. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. There's a little brain teaser. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. <clears throat> Do not be confused about who Jesus is. You don't have to wonder because John the Baptist told you who he is. He is the one who brings God's grace and truth to 
the world. He is the one who knows God better than you do. He is himself God. And he came here in the flesh, not to destroy, not to tear apart, not to break, but instead to bring the true light to the world so that the world might see something it had never known before, the great love and mercy and grace of God. When you read the story of Jesus as told by John, he does not give you a ton of choices. He tells you right from the beginning who Jesus was. Was he a man? Yep. Did he live and teach? Yep. Did he heal? Yep. Did he die? He sure did. And for any man, that would have been the end of the story. But Jesus is not a man. He is God. And therefore, all the things you've heard about him healing people who had no business being healed, about him correcting teachers who had spent their entire lives studying who God is, about the people who had illnesses or sicknesses since birth whose lives he changed. The stories you've heard about his resurrection, they're all true. They're all true. For Jesus is God revealed to us. And if you have rejected him, here's what you're missing out on. The glory, goodness, and grace of God. So do you want that? Do you want this kind of story? I've always said that the Jesus in the book of John floats about three inches off the ground. Because we get, from all the Gospels together in John, we get the highest Jesus. The one who knows exactly who he is, and why he is here. Because from the very beginning, he himself is God. Friends, there's no baby book in the book of John. No miracle pregnancies, no angels, no stinky shepherds. There is only God incarnate. And so the gospel that follows will be a book of testimonies, witnesses, so that by the time you get to the end, the end of this full, dramatic, crazy story, you will be left with only two options. Either Jesus is 
the Son of God, one with God himself, who came to bring salvation to the world, or he's not. But there is no in-between. There is no half-measure. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing in this world now, then get on the train. Follow Jesus. Make your life about him, and you will be children of God in a way that you never could have known or imagined or felt before. So come on. Let's go. Let's learn about how amazing and incredible Jesus Christ is.